I mean, the number one thing I say is authority clarity. Authority clarity is key. We, we often want to talk about delegation as, you know, getting things off your plate. But usually what we mean by that is we want to just give people tasks. So we just want to fill up your task bucket. We don't actually give you the responsibility and the authority to make decisions. And that leads to burnout. I love saying responsibility without authority leads to disengagement. So any top leader worth their salt is going to want authority. If not, they're just a yes person who's just going to go implement whatever you tell them to. And then you're going to wonder why the company feels so heavy still on your shoulders because you're not actually unloading any responsibility. You're just unloading tasks. And that's not the same thing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass, a podcast channel presented by Nolan Consulting Group. Today's episode, hosted by our very own Brian Nolan, centers on the topic of ownership versus management. And to highlight the clarity of the distinct functions of the two, Brian is joined by Jared Bias, founder of Common Good Family Business Advisors. Jared helps us to better understand the roles in which these two functions play, explains that ownership doesn't always equal management, and highlights the importance of the transparent dynamics in their relationship from values and vision alignment to social capital, cascading the decision matrix, and so much more. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. Okay, thanks, Molly. Brian Nolan here, back with uh out of the Hourglass podcast, uh, we have a special guest today, Jared Bias from Common Good Family Business Advisors, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give an introduction to Jared because I I know him closely in a couple ways. Uh, Jared uh, was my was is I guess I'll still say is my uh, family business coach. Uh, helping me set um, things like uh, family employment agreements, um, uh, pathway to shareholdership, um, family meetings, family values. So I, I've used uh, worked with him since 2016. I, going on over a year ago, and he'll, he'll tell us exactly, he started his own business called uh, Common Good Family Business Advisors. And um, we were also fortunate enough to have him as a satellite Nolan consulting coach, uh, where he coaches several clients and um, also is a speaker at many of our conferences and um, really just a go-to guy in the area of family business, succession planning, uh, board development, and the like. So uh, welcome, Jared. Thanks so much. I hope I can live up to all that you just said. Yes, yes, no doubt you can. <laughs> and uh, this uh, discussion today is um, is a topic that's not always clear uh, to many of our business owners, right, Jared? It's this right. it's this discussion of ownership versus management. Um, why why is that an important uh, distinction? And maybe before that, if you want to give maybe just a little bit of background. On, on yourself uh, in areas where this has even played a role to you. Yeah. 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 So for the better part of the last 10 years, I, I worked with uh, families 
A to Z kind of soup to nuts family business. But of course, a lot of that is transition planning. And I think one of the things that a lot of family businesses don't realize is that when you're transitioning, it's not often that you're just transitioning one person out and a new person in. You're not just moving a president out and a new president in. You're actually having to rethink the structure of the organization. Usually there's a ceiling that you're hitting in your business, a new model that needs to be developed, a new structure. And so that's where some of this comes into play is this ownership and management is when new people come in, whether that's a family member or not, oftentimes their role isn't going to be the same as yours if you were the owner operator of the company. So that's kind of a business model is this owner operator model where because you're the owner, you're the top box in the org chart. You are the one who feels like you have to do everything, the whole business on your shoulders. No one can ever do it as good as me. So I have to do everything, kind of this mentality. I usually call it the genius with a thousand helpers. So you're up there pointing where everybody should go and what they should do. And sometimes that leads to not being able to see that the role of an owner is not the same thing as the role of a top manager. Those are actually distinct things. So this is important for a couple of reasons. One, if you have multiple owners, or even if you don't, I think it sometimes it makes assumptions about the skill set or even the desire of an owner. So, for instance, I had uh, three brothers once who were stepping into top management roles and becoming owners. And the assumption was because dad was the owner and told everyone what to do, that as owners, we all have to be the top managers in the company because those are one and the same thing. Well, it turns out that one of the, one of the gentlemen was an exceptional salesperson but a terrible sales manager. He didn't like it. He didn't want to do it. But he felt, that he felt this pressure in this transition to be in that top box because his brother was an exceptional operations person and his other brother was an exceptional finance person. And so it was just a match made in heaven. Dad steps out and we take over the three primary functions of the company. But it turned out that he was getting overwhelmed, burnout, wasn't good for the company. And so whenever I shared this, this light bulb went off for him and it was a huge relief to finally admit to himself, I want to be a salesperson. I don't want to be the sales manager. But it took understanding there's a separation. And, and it was sort of, he almost had to ask permission, like, am I allowed to just be a salesperson and not be the, the top person? And yeah, we built a structure where he had a boss, he had a sales manager, and yet he was still the owner. And it was complicated. And we can talk about some of those boundaries. But um, so I think that's why it's important is you want the, as the owner of a company, you want the best people in the role for that function. And you may not be it just because you're the owner. That's, that's yeah. a tall order. And, you know, it is. And when I, when I think about when, when we started uh, knowing consulting, it was with the idea that you would get out of the hourglass uh, where you don't own all these functions or, or you may own one function and, and that function that you do best and you like the most. And as an owner, maybe you have that choice. But ultimately, if you own stock in a company, uh, you're an owner and you're interested in, in the results, you're interested in the vision and in the service. Um, so let, let's just talk about like the role of an owner and then we'll move towards management. So you're, you're just an owner, okay? So people listening, I want you to take off every other hat you have. Um, if you're a CEO, if you're a VP of sales as well, production manager, good. Put those aside. You're just an owner. What, what are we doing as a role of an owner? And um, if, 
if you could peel that back for us, Jared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you touched on something else that I think is really important. You know, the second reason why this is important is for succession planning. If we're going to get out of the hourglass, being able to do what you just said is take off those other hats and just be an owner. And what that often means, again, if there's multiple partners, alignment is the top function. It's the most important thing. Because if you're going in a different direction, if you think in the next five years, I think the company is going to look this way and someone else says, no, I think it's going to look that way, then you're creating a two-headed monster. You're dividing your company. You're not, going in, you're not all rowing in the same direction, which can be devastating for a company. So alignment is the number one thing. And you'd be amazed at how hard and how much work and how many meetings it takes to really make sure you're on the same page about things. So alignment with respect to what? Give us a little more. There. Yeah. So then the meat of that, like what are we talking about? It's really the vision of the company from a multi-year perspective. Where are we going to be in 10 years from now? Uh, what, what industries are we going to be in? Are we starting new divisions? Are we acquiring companies? Are, what's our, like, what's our, our strategy for growth? Um, at what profitability margins? What do we think is a, the, a profitability margin we can live with as owners, right? Because as owners, that's, that's what you're there for is the return on your investment, whether that's actual equity you've put in or that sweat equity and all the hard work you've put in. The question owners ask is, what am I getting in return? And so you want to have that kind of profit first mentality. How are you setting that profit margin? What's reasonable? What's not reasonable? What are all the factors that go into it? Culture is a huge thing as owners. Again, I talked about this the other day where they paid 100% of the healthcare. The owners decided we are the kind of company that's going to pay 100% of the healthcare of our employees. That is a core value of what we had. And when times are tough, that gets tough on the operations, but they stay the course. And that's something that the coming from the owners, that's a really high priority. So that's that cultural piece, the cultural tone. Um, you know, what's, what's the way you want things to be done from a cultural perspective, um, which leads into the values. So setting the values, the guardrails of how do we behave? How do we do it around here? Um, and making sure that the structures are in place then to uh, live that out. So it's a yearly horizon. You're looking years out as the owner. You're looking at um, and thinking through that far in advance. So, so you know, I, I, we call that the uh, strategic intent of the business. Right. What, what do you intend this business for? Yes. And then, and then how do you expect it to run culturally from, from the values that you're proud of as an owner? What if you're the only owner, which a lot of these businesses are? What do you do? I, I think you still do this. And that, that's actually even more imperative that you find the time because this is kind of the, the heart and soul of, of Nolan, I feel like. Nolan Consulting Group is when you're in the hourglass, when you're doing the day-to-day, -day, there's really no one guiding the ship. Like who's picking their head up and looking years in advance? If the owner's not doing it, probably no one's doing it. And so if you want it done, if you think it's important to look ahead, then you're scheduling half days in your calendar once a month or more to just think about these things, cultural Unencumbered, tone. unencumbered by, by the problems of the day. Uh, you know, yeah, I, preferably I just, off site and with your cell phone off. Uh, yeah. I, w I was just on this uh, four day adventure race and we had this, this long endurance and I felt like that was time when I could just think about these things. And so it occurs to me, owners listening, um, find your preferred uh, time and place where um, you could really lift your head out of the sand and, you know, remember why it is you started this business and, 
and start thinking about what it is you actually want out of this business. And, you know, you've got the ability to change. You don't, you don't have, you don't have a boss. Maybe the only boss is yourself and you're putting being a little too difficult on yourself. Yeah. It's, you know, I say, these are the times and places where you can own your business rather than your business owning you. Okay, so let's let's contract this to the role of management, right? And uh, how do you see the role of management? And then we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about ownership and management dynamic be, between the two. Um, before diving into that, you know, one of the things we uh, discussed is the many roles you have and uh, succession planning and the ability to understand the skills that you have in all these roles and then the importance of ultimately replacing those skills that you have. Um, that's something you've, you've shared with us and I think is a really important discussion as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so again, the, the purpose of a management or management team is to manage the company resources and the core operations in a sustainable way. That's really what the, the management team does, or I often say more simply, oversee how the company gets work, does work, and keeps score. So that the, the top tier of what that actually means is that's where uh, the CPP process, the strategic planning process, the budgeting process. So that's a, a little bit of a gray area. So in some companies, if the, the owners like that control and they're good at that, they may do a lot of that budgeting and strategic planning. In other companies where the owner's not strong at that, they, has, they have their management team do that. They don't, they don't do that. They say, you guys get the budget together, put the strategic plan together and, and then, you know, present it to me and, and I'll kind of sift through it and ask the good questions. But really the management team is the one who's doing a lot of that planning. That's strategic planning, dis, you know, defining the systems, putting systems in place, having these regular management meetings, kind of on the business meetings, um, looking weeks and months out. That's really the purpose of, of management, not years, weeks and months. Uh, and again, you know, there's a there's a blurred line. Of course, you want your top managers thinking years out as well, um, and that's where that intersection happens. But the day to day work is the responsibility of the managers. Now, often they're not doing the day to day work in in larger companies where it's more complex, but they're still the ones responsible for it. So, so maybe to uh, simplify this, the owners really they they speak to the what we want to accomplish profit division and then the management is the how how we're going to accomplish this what people we're going to be putting in in place what initiatives we're going to work on this quarter quarter etc and then um how 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 have you seen the uh, dynamic between owner ownership team let's call it and a management team work effectively and ineffectively like where where can it be ineffective yeah, ineffective. I mean, the number one thing I say is authority clarity. Authority clarity is key. We we often want to talk about delegation as you know getting things off your plate, but usually what we mean by that is we want to just give people tasks. So we just want to fill up your task bucket. We don't actually give you the responsibility and the authority to make decisions. We still we just want you to do more stuff for us, and that leads to burnout. I love saying responsibility without authority leads to disengagement. So any top leader worth their salt is going to want authority. If not, they're just a yes person who's just going to 
go implement whatever you tell them to. And then you're going to wonder why the companies feel so heavy still on your shoulders. It's because you're not actually unloading any responsibility. You're just unloading tasks. And that's not the same thing. So that's the most ineffective. You know, I, I, I think of this now in the so many discussions that I have with business owners who are talking about putting a GM in place. It seems to be like a real goal for a lot of guys. Yeah, I want to put a GM in place in, in the next three to five years so I can start to do other things. Mm-hmm. And that's why this, this conversation is so important. Because if you're going to put a GM in place, then understand that you're giving them authority, um, not just responsibility. If yeah, that's you jump a great... in all the time, you're a puppet master. Yep. Right? That's a great, great... Uh, I think that's the most concrete example given a lot of the, the people that we work with is that GM position, which if you don't let go of authority, you're really just creating a, a redundant layer. You're just telling them what to do and then they're just going to do and, it. And a, and a uh, dis, disrespected leader because no one beneath that GM is going to really pay any heed to what that GM says. Right. Because they know that you can just come in at any time and undermine it, which you've probably done a few times. You just come in and make a change because you feel like it. Yeah, well, that's a that's a that's a big sort of epiphany for me here. Um, now let's talk about this this group, this or this this body that often is in between the owner and the management team. That's called the board, uh, and we're, we're having a lot more discussion in Summit about advisory board, board of directors, and the role they play, and and and, and the importance. You do a good job at sort of talking about. Um, the different different types of boards from from least formal to a formal. Can I ask you to do a quick summation of that and then talk about what might be appropriate for a lot of summit members? Uh, yeah, I think, first of all, let's talk about what the board is because I think that scares a lot of people. They're like, oh, we're not big enough for a board. Like that's big and corporate. But really thinking about, well, one, if you're a legal corporation in America, you already are a board, right? You've, you've had to do that when you set it up. So you're already there, whether you like it or not. But two, think of it as a function. What, what's the point of it? And so the function is still happening. And that really is uh, to be thinking about this balance point between ownership and management. And what, what do we mean by that? So I think this, you know, think of it as like a, the GM and the owner. This is a great example of that, where a board can hold both parties accountable. And I think that's really important. They can say to an owner, hey, listen, if I was your GM, I would have been long gone because you keep undermining everything they're trying to do, right? And so a lot of owners don't like that because they don't want to be held accountable. But if they're being held accountable to their best selves, if they've said, I want to get out of the hourglass, I don't want to be doing the day-to-day, a board really is just there as a support to say, hey, you said you didn't want to be in. Why are you in? Like you're about to lose this GM and then you're going to be in full time again. What are you acting like you want? <laughs> yeah, it's just holding you accountable to the things you've already said you wanted. Yeah. So that's, and then, then on the other side, though, oftentimes a board can help hold that GM or that president accountable and say, hey, listen, the, the owner has said that they want, you know, a 6%, 8% return this year, that these are the cultural values. And from what you're telling me and for what I'm seeing, like we're not hitting our mark. These are some problems that keep coming up. And now you have a group who's there to help hold that accountable rather than just all falling on your shoulders. Because most owner operators, to be honest, 
aren't skilled managers in that sense. They they don't have the experience of that kind of breadth of understanding for how to manage that position well. Um, and so a, a board can really just be that function. And you talked about different levels. It can start very informally. Like, first of all, I just encourage people to get advice from people. Um, so if you're not getting advice from people, even just individuals, I think you're missing out on that opportunity. But then if you want to organize it, you know, it's just having an identifiable group that you just put together on a, you know, uh, occasional basis. So sometimes we get advice from people, but we can be the puppet master. And that's why I like having a group is because when the group gets to talk, you don't get to manipulate the data, right? So if I'm just talking to Joe and then I talk to Steve, I get to be the filter. But if I'm in a room with Joe and Steve and they're talking to each other, now they can actually kind of pin me to the wall a little bit. So having the identifiable group that meets, even if it's as needed, just, hey, talk to four or five people and say, listen, every once in a while, I come up some really hard problems in my business. You're someone I respect. You have experience. Would you mind if every once in a while, maybe once a quarter, whenever I need it, if I could call on you guys, we just head up to uh, you know have lunch together and, uh, and I can present this for you. Would that be okay? That's often a great start to a, a an you know, informal advisory board. And then you can do that more formally and just have a group that says, hey, once a quarter, this time, this place, can you give me advice on these problems that I have? I'll give you an agenda and I'll compensate you some for it. That's just informal. It's an advisory board. And again, can help play uh, both the balance point, but also accountability, but also just perspective. I often say, go get someone who's ahead of you. So you're leading a $15 million painting company why don't you grab uh, someone who's leading a $25 million painting company in a different part of the country to be on your board? They've been there. They know what it's like. They, they know what those hurdles are to get to that place. And you, it's worth probably paying some money uh, to get their feedback and their advice. And, and I would the, say, is, yeah, go ahead. Is the owner typically on the board? The owner, the owner can't, yeah, the owner is often on the board. I would say the healthiest thing is for the owner not to chair the board. Um, so then again, they can be part of the conversation, be involved, you know, be vote, give the vote, whatever. Um, but they're not the ones kind of leading the charge. And and the management team is often presenting the the business plan for, for the following year to the board. And uh, now the owner um, has another group to sort of understand the competencies of, of the management team. And then um, the... The owners, uh, as you said, they, they can fire uh, the board uh, members, uh, but um, the board members can also recommend if a manager is not doing their job, um, even if it's someone the owner likes, this is an objective party to really tell you, because they really have no agenda of, to themselves, the board members, other than to, to hit the owner's ultimate goals. I think that's the beauty of it, right? There's no politics involved. Yeah. And that's another reason why I say, you know, don't have employees on your board because it just mix, it mixes that up and maybe not even have professional advisors like attorneys and accountants because you're, you're already paying them in a different capacity to give you that advice. You want exactly that. People who are zero focus, you know, zeroed in on what are your ultimate aims and our, it's our, if they're an actual board that's called a fiduciary board, it's their fiduciary responsibility to have your primary aims, the best interests of the company, you know, in their decision making and in their process. So this is this is where it starts to get a little complicated. Fiduciary, um, fiduciary means they're they're ultimately fiscally responsible, um, and they could be sued. In fact, 
And why, why would you want a, a fiduciary board? And, and then who would take on the role? Like, I don't want the fiduciary responsibility there. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it the the benefit again is that you, it's just a, another measure and a level of accountability. And you know, kind of my my opinion is you should treat an advisory board like a fiduciary board anyway, because if not, why are they there? I mean, their primary function is to be able to pin you to the wall and say listen, in my experience, this is where you're messing up or this is going to lead down to this road. And if you're not going to listen to your board, why, why have them? Why, why even have them anyway? So in, in some ways, I don't know if that distinction is all that important. It's more about a heart and a mindset. As owners, are we willing to listen and be held accountable, um, which is the harder challenge. But then, yeah, I mean, I think especially if you have multiple people involved, multiple partners, or if you're going to pass this down to your kids, then a fiduciary board, it just gives stability, it gives structure, it gives formality, professionalism. Um, there's just a lot more stability with a fiduciary board. There's a more formal process. And I think you and I would say that, you know, many, many companies listening to this are pretty far away from needing to have a fiduciary board. But we would also say that you're not far at all away from having some form of a board. And as I talked about last week in a group, I uh, talked about the importance of even gathering your, your paid advisors, right? So this is, this is even before you've done this, this informal board. Just take your advisors um, and you probably have two or three of them and let's meet together once a year or twice a year to, to review and um, the sparring that's gonna happen amongst us. So if I'm on a call and I, I, this happens with an accountant and a lawyer and a banker, let's say, I'm, man, I love it because like the level of discussion just got really intense. And all of us have, uh, we, we have one agenda, which is to make that business successful. So, so do that. I mean, you're already paying us anyway. We're not going to, you know, do that. Bring us together, uh, you know, and because then if we're working together, we're also networking, by the way, which is a good thing, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think it's a great. I think it's a great thing too, because it also, you know, it if you don't do that, then all of the advice that you're getting as a business owner is only going through the lens of what you already know. You don't know what you don't know, and you're not going to remember all those terms. And so, when you, you know, as you, you know, Brian, if someone comes to you and you say, "Well, what did your accountant tell you?" Well, you're only going to get the owner's limited interpretation of that because they're not accountants. That happens I mean, how much better would it be if you hear it straight from the horse's mouth and you say, oh, I see. Now I understand how that translates. And, and, and also, it's going to help the owner make, make a decision because often they're getting contrasting advice on, right. on something. So let, why don't we have me and the attorney duke it out and probably come to some reasonable conclusion on that. Yeah, it's everybody has an agenda, right? And for good reason, like the accountant is looking at tax friction and how do we save tax dollars? The attorney is looking I'm, at liability and how do I, we be I'm, safe? I'm looking at cash flow. You're, yep. I'm looking at cash flow. I, I don't want you to buy two more vehicles because your tax is going to be reduced. I, I need you to have, have reserves before you do that. Exactly. I'm looking at the whole thing. Well, my accountant says I got to do this. Okay, well, let's get together and talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and that's just, just an example of where to get started. 
Um, and that's it, where I, I kind of want to extrapolate because I think people can get lost in the weeds if it feels so formal and big to have a board and other things. For me, it's more think about the functions. Like, as are you looking out years in advance? When are you doing that? You're, do you have a time set aside for that? Are you getting other people involved in your business to hear advice and to be held accountable? Those are the, those are the things that actually bring about change. That's what has teeth. Whether it's a formal board, a fiduciary, that's important, but it's not the starting place. That's great. So um, good. So we'll, we'll wrap this one up with sort of a, a summation to, you know, draw three circles uh, on your page and, you know, make one of them the owner and make the other one uh, the board and make the other one the management. Um, and often actually the board is in between the owner and the management and start to draw functions of each of those on paper and then start to calendar those. And uh, that's how companies scale. Any yeah, closing absolutely. words, Jared? Any closing no, words? I, I think the only thing I would add again is, is there's just such a, a profound with the, the, the families and the companies that we all interact with. You can't emphasize enough that authority piece. I just think that's if you want to scale and you want to get out of the hourglass in terms of these roles, you can't separate that from authority. So this, this, this idea of cascading decision-making down. And uh, one of the things that I've done with Catherine is a decision matrix. And we've gone through um, about 25 uh, different type decisions. And um, it, it was hard to do for me because I'm an owner and I'm a CEO. And those two are tightly, I'm separating those. It's not easy. So I, I appreciate that people listening. But once you, that once you then confront an issue, Catherine will say, we should just look and see whose decision that is. Now, as you and I have talked about before, I can trump a decision anytime, but why would I do that? It would, it would need to be like a major principled reason to do it. Otherwise, I've got a disengaged employee. Yeah, that's right. I often talk about having social capital. And as an owner, you have a certain amount of social capital. And every time you trump the decision that's not yours to make, you're taking a withdrawal out and you go exactly. bankrupt real quick. Every time I give that decision making, I'm, I'm depositing authority and engagement and finally separation to become an owner and to be able to go away and know that someone cares so deeply about the results and uh, that's ultimately what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, here. and it's, it's weighted. You know, it's 20 deposits for every one withdrawal. Holy, totally, totally. Thanks, Jared. Always a fun discussion. Uh, again, Jared uh, is available. Uh, um, I know he's busy, but uh, Common Good Family Business Advisors, uh, you can contact us and we can certainly put you in contact with Jared. Hey, Jared, thanks so much. Absolutely. Always. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business consulting firm with coaches located around the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.